Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Ace of Spada podcast hosted by your boy right here, Anthony Spada. That started out really energetic and man, what an episode you guys have today. I want to get you there as soon as possible, but the story that will be told within this episode is one that I had the pleasure of having on this show. Um, Michelle Rains really impacted my life, a friend, colleague. Um, she's been one of the best people I've been in contact with since mid-January when I came out with Brad's episode. Um, she's Brad Jensen's sister. So we take you through her road living with Brad through his 10-year addiction and her own struggles through it. Um, You guys are going to learn a lot from this one. At least I hope so. And before we get there, I do want to announce that I have a few coaching spots open. Um, I'm looking to bring on about 5 to 10 new people. So if you really want to be the ace in the deck of cards known as life, like the clients I have now, then go down in the show notes my coaching application is there just fill it out and i will get to you as soon as possible so guys let's get to this episode let's welcome on michelle rains all right michelle rains welcome to the ace of spada podcast awesome thanks for having me anthony i'm super stoked yeah uh well if you wouldn't know your my episode probably came out a lot sooner than this episode will, but we recorded my episode for your guys' podcast about two days ago. Um, I was able to share my story and everything, which was pretty unique in a way. Um, impactful, dude. Yeah, awesome. yeah, that one was pretty cool. I was like, I was just sitting there, kind of thinking about it, because that's what I do after I record. I kind of just sit for an hour and process everything that we talk about, and I'm uh-huh. like. I didn't need to process because it was my own story. And I was like, this is pretty oh, unique. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of fun. We've like hung out this whole week. I know. It's fine. Um, well, I feel like we always do. On social media, we interact a lot, actually. Um, so let's talk about, first off, you help run Key Nutrition, correct? Correct. I do. Yes. So it's been open a little over three years. And I, you know, had the opportunity to put my blood, sweat and tears into it. I always say that to people because I, you know, run alongside my brother who owns Key Nutrition, uh, Brad Jensen, and um, Anthony had the opportunity to interview him um, several episodes ago. And Brad's got a really impactful story. Um, And I happen to be his sister. And um, so, yeah, so I I run all operations things, the front end of um, Key Nutrition. And, you know, I've been in the fitness industry about five years, but doing all operations things, um, but totally kind of involving myself in in all things that I can learn as far as coaching goes. I mean, QuickBooks will only fulfill you for so long and and collections. Um, So yeah, so three years ago, so we, we started this key nutrition thing and it's, you know, it's, it's been a really awesome, fun thing to run alongside um, a sibling. Yeah. I was going to ask, what is it like to actually run key nutrition and like what a daily schedule is like? Cause I feel like seeing your story, you seem busy all the time and that's actually a good thing to kind of be busy in a productive way. Oh, definitely. You know, it's, it's crazy because I actually, um, for a lot of years in my life, I was that girl that I was not going to work. I was never going to work. When I got married, I was going to marry someone who was going to financially take care of me. And then I actually, I had a child um, at the age of 24 and I was just getting done with beauty school. Um, and I was, you know, I definitely thought I wanted to do all things beauty school people do and own a salon and all these beautiful things. And, you know, I ended up having a child right when I graduated and um, things just kind of shifted, obviously. Um, I was raising her as a single mom. And so all of the hopes and dreams I had with graduating beauty school and what that was going to bring into my life, it didn't look exactly that way for me. Um, so I ended up, you know, I did utilize my, my hair license for the better part of, you know, probably eight years I, I did okay. hair and then realized I, it's not my thing. I don't like it. I, it never, like it was fun and it, it paid the bills, but it never really did anything 
it never really did anything for me. Um, so after that, I decided I'm not going to have a job. I, and so <laughs> I went to being very not productive. I mean, I joke with people and would say for the better part of like three years, I didn't even put a bra on. I never left the house. Uh, <laughs> And realized that took me into a really dark place, really yeah, yeah. dark, ugly. Um, you know, I, I was a very hateful person. I, it was a very, very dark time for me. And it, it's crazy to look back on now um, because, yes, now that I'm running a company, like I'm running a fairly successful company, um, I am very busy. And it's all really good, good, busy things. Um, you know, my daily schedule, I wouldn't even be able to write it out. Like I had at one point, Brad kind of wanted my job description and I really couldn't even give it to him. I just, I do little bits here, little bits here. I, you know, I'm definitely constantly on the go, constantly have something on my brain that I need to do, um, as well as, you know, being the mom to two kids. So it's, it's been a wild ride, but it also has very much taught me how to be a very structured person. Yeah. And in a sense, I guess you kind of got that when you went through that period, I guess that three-year period, you kind of had that, that why me, I guess, type of attitude. Is that what you kind of had in a way, like closer to the end when you, when you saw that you weren't doing anything productive where you're just like, why is this happening? Like it's stuff like that. And did you go through some sort of crisis like that? I absolutely did. I became such a victim. I was very much the victim in any sort of friendship that would go south. And a lot of my friendships at that point in time did go south. Um, and it was because I very much took a victim standpoint of, um, you know, why do I feel this way? I did every self-help thing you can think of. But I think when you're in that dark of a place and you are coming from a victim standpoint, it's very hard to actually absorb the stuff that you are doing. You can do everything right. You can put one foot in front of the other. But if you're not able to absorb it because you are in such a bad, like really my energy was just terrible um, that I was inviting really nothing good into my life. Um, and at, at that point in time, you know, I st like my workouts were still intact, but I was jumping from every modality. Anthony, in three years, I was a runner. I was a power lifter. I was a crossfitter. And then I was this Zumba. Oh, I had every pair of Zumba pants and every shirt. I had every Zumba. Oh, let's go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I just was trying to find some sort of outside source to fix me, to fix why I was feeling this way and why I felt like such a victim. Yeah. Uh, I went through that and it, like I, like I mentioned on your podcast, when I went through the first few years of college, it was kind of like right kind of near the end when everything was going wrong. It's like, why, why is everything going wrong? Mm -hmm. Like, and it takes a introspection. Like I mentioned on your episode, like it takes a sense of introspection to look at yourself in the mirror. And, yes. and it's really hard to do that though. Yes. One thing. And like you said, uh, you weren't positive. So it truly goes to say that when you're actually positive in life, like good things are going to happen. Like when you're grateful and everything, like good things are going to happen instead of playing that victim. Like if you play that victim for a long enough card, nothing good is going to come. Nothing. Like, nothing. And, I also yeah. think if you, if you surround yourself with people with that negative energy as well. It just keeps feeding off of each other. And I truly believe that when somebody is in such a negative place like that, I, I believe that disease enters the body a lot easier. Um, obesity takes over. Um, I was fighting tooth and nail at that point in time to, to keep every pound off of me that I could. Um, but yet I was doing some sort of workout all the time to the extreme. Um, so definitely, you know, trying to, to validate myself with outside sources. So. Yeah. And you look at that too. Like when you look at the obesity thing, it's like from the amount of stress that the negative pressure is putting on you. Mm -hmm. Like that's what, like when I was positive, that was probably when I was like right now, it's probably when I am the leanest I've been at probably the highest weight I've ever been. There you so go. So it's like, like it just shows like, and like once I guess in my time when I became positive, like really, really positive, I got like the internship out of nowhere. When I made all these life changes, the start of it to become healthier, like that's when 
everything went right in a sense. Like once I started to get my life back together. (laughs) Everything falls into place. And, you know, I, I, I totally believe that there's, you know, four areas of fitness and that's emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical. And, And I think that all of those have to be in balance for the others to be in balance. And, you know, for me, honestly, what I found in the last several years, while I have discovered what my, um, you know, higher being is, um, it's definitely been that the spiritual aspect of my fitness is a very guarded thing for me. And when I say that, it means, you know, part of my morning routine is definitely part of my spiritual fitness. Um, and it, it's, it's a sacred time for me. It, I guard it um, very, very closely. And usually when that's intact, I can find that the other areas, they come a little bit easier. So I do feel like that's kind of at the top of it. Um, but I, I do think that everything goes hand in hand in all of those areas of fitness. Um, when people so much think of fitness, they just think of, you know, aesthetics and having abs. And for me, that's not even my goal. My goal is not, I, I don't think that I'll ever have abs and I'm okay with that. Um, you know, I, I want to be so balanced in all the other areas of that, those fitness areas that I mentioned, um, that I, I I don't get too myopically focused in one certain one. Yeah. And actually this kind of ties into what I had on the last episode with Sal. Um, he talked about like when you start focusing more on the aesthetic kind of goals with fitness in general, like eventually like in the beginning it's all cool to see the changes and you get that drive from there but eventually he said you're going to develop a sort of self-hate and for it and make the workouts as punishment i would have to like for your choices that you eat and everything and then he talked about the spiritual and i was like well meditation's been probably like that's part of my morning routine it's like that and that walk that I took that I mentioned on your episode is like, those are part of the spiritual and the spiritual is so much more important because if I don't have that morning routine though, it's like everything else is not set up for success. Like if anything goes wrong with my morning routine, if I don't get to do one part of it, it's like I'm out of my zone. Mm -hmm. You know, and I had somebody approach me one time and ask, um, it was a client of mine that asked, now what if your morning routine gets interrupted? Okay. So here's the stat. I guard it. So I can't remember the last time it got interrupted. Even when I go up camping, which I go camping quite a bit, it's a guarded time and I, I, I use it. However, if that time is to get interrupted, I just do it at a different point in the day. It changes things up, but as long as I've still got it within those 24 hours, it, I prioritize it. And um, you know, like you were talking about your walks and such, that to me is a spiritual component. It also pairs with what people are doing, like what are you doing to de-stress? Um, walks are really good for that. They're so good for the body. Um, so yeah, prioritizing, you know, and some people, they may put more of an emphasis on a different area than I put, and that's okay. If they all kind of bleed into each other and they all uh, complement each other, that's what you're looking for. Yeah. And it took us a while. It took me a while to find the the absolute perfect routine. And it's kind of funny because I'm reading the compound effect right now. Oh, by, uh-huh. uh, and he talks about literally just got done reading the morning routine part this morning. And he goes, if it gets interrupted, I just go back and start over. He's like, I don't care where I'm at in the day. Like if my morning routine, like if I'm at the very end and it gets interrupted, I'll start over just because <laughs> he knows when he gets that fully done and gets fully to the end, he is on point. And mm-hmm. it took me a while though to find, like it took me till during quarantine to find the absolute best, the absolute best morning routine because my schedule with being working late at night in the bar, like you don't really have a morning routine, especially when you have classes at different start times throughout the day. Awesome. There's no pure thing, but if I get at least segments of it done throughout different times of the day, I check that off the list. Yes. That that's exact that's that's the important part right there. And just like you said Anthony, like people will ask me, I get DMs all the time about, well tell me what your morning routine is. I I can tell you what I do, but it's not going to work for you. A morning routine, as silly as it sounds, is individualized. It is. It's what works for you. Like I have found, and just like you, it took me the better part of a year of kind of tweaking some things. Like, do I want my walk here? Do I want it here? As weird as it sounds. And it's like, as soon as I got what puts me 
in a spiritually healthy place, I said, this is what I'm going to do every morning and it is going to be a sacred guarded time for me. So what is your morning routine like? (laughs) My morning routine is I get up at the same time every single day. I am one of those. I am all about my circadian rhythm. I will not interrupt it. I get up at the same time. Um, I get my first cup of coffee ready and I go, I go down into what is initially it was made to be my Zen room and now it doubles as my office. And just like you, it was funny because you said on our podcast something about you're not supposed to double things as other things. And I'm like, oh, I do that with my office in my Zen room now. But um, I, I sit in this same chair that I have in my room and I always have some sort of daily thought book. So I used to, uh, I read last year in 2019, I read the Daily Stoic. So I read a passage from every day. Uh, This year I'm reading Daily Thoughts with God. Um, And so it's a daily reading that I read every morning. And then I always have some sort of book that I'm reading. And it's usually a self-help entrepreneur, some sort of um, book like that. Um, And then I do have a journal um, that I need to be better about writing in, but I'm fairly good about writing. I usually try to write a few works. And then I am very, very much into um, breath work. I, I believe in it. I believe in breath work to where it, it, it creates a space in my head where I am able to be more creative. I am more compassionate on the days that I, I truly practice my breath work and get in touch with my breath. Um, and then, you know, the relationship that I have built with the God that I believe in, um, I pray to him. And so that is my daily routine. I do all of that before I, the worst thing any listeners out there that you can do is start your day out with your phone in your hand because you are going to have text messages to attend to. You're going to have emails. Um, you know, I, I know my job here at Key Nutrition as a, it, you know, as the front end, um, I had constant fires to put out. Um, and so I got in the habit of my phone stays upside down on my nightstand. Um, just, I don't even take it down with me because it becomes a complete distraction. Um, so, you know, it's funny because my morning routine is really fairly simple at its core. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's just become so important. And like I said, I've tweaked it and tuned it. At first I was doing a walk and then it would get dark, you know, stay dark too late and I didn't want to walk in the dark. So that didn't work anymore. And then this, so I found what works for me. It was my perfect dose of what I needed. Yeah. I think the breath work is really important. There's something to that too. Like I have described, I'm trying to describe how like my headspace feels like when I'm done doing some sort of meditation or breath work. Like it's like, it just feels really clear and really empty. And it's kind of an odd feeling that Mm -hmm. if you've, if you've meditated before and you meditated correctly, you would know how it feels, but it's just like a really odd trying to describe it to someone who's never meditated before. I'm like, I have no clue how to describe this right now. It's just like, I'm in the sky kind of. It's like, that's how you feel like you're just up in the air. You know, it's wild because I agree with that. Trying to explain to somebody, uh, you know, breath work or meditation and, and the, the things that you say you might feel the person kind of goes, oh, that doesn't sound fun at all. That actually sounds hurt. Like, why do you do that? You know? Um, but it is, like you said, is it is literally what creates the space within my head to take on whatever I need to that day in a very, very different way than I used to. So I, you know, some of, some of my past is um, anxiety and depression. And I, um, struggled with it really bad. My first very severe panic attack was when I was 13 years old and we were in California for my grandmother's funeral. So that was the very first time that I ever dealt with death, um, was at 13 years old, um, and started real dealing with pretty heavy anxiety. Um, a, a lot of anxiety and a lot of, um, at that time I was in eighth grade and, I remember multiple mornings not wanting to go to school. And I, you know, my story doesn't parallel yours in the way at all of the bullying. Um, yeah. I actually like, I had a pretty good group of friends, but I had very debilitating anxiety. Um, and, you know, I, I to overcome the anxiety and depression looking back now, um, you know, I'm just, I, I'm so grateful that I, ha- you know, I had, um, 
people in my life that like, you know, I had very, very supportive parents and I had, um, you know, but I, I did find myself, I took my first drink of alcohol at 15 years old. Now I don't associate as an alcoholic or an addict. Um, but I, I did, did start to realize that that kind of took away that edge of anxiety. Um, and, um, I, you know, anybody that wants to go back and listen to Brad's story on your, um, you know, podcast, I, I heavily invite that because he has just such an amazing story. I, he's three years younger than me. And, um, Brad started dabbling with drugs and alcohol when he was about 12. So it was, it's funny that it actually parallels the same time that I took my first drink. Um, Of course, we were both hiding it. I mean, neither of us knew. My parents didn't know. You know, we hid it for several, several years. Um, And then I realized when I, well, when I realized that Brad had it as severe of a drug and alcohol addiction, I am so grateful that I was able to give it up cold turkey because I realized the life that it can lead to. And um, at that point in my life, though, I do feel like I had a lot of support. I, you know, in all transparency, and there might be listeners out there that can relate, I went on and off every medication you could think of to to try to control it. And there were side effects, and this one made this, and then this one made you gain weight. And what what high school girl wants to gain weight? Um, so I do feel like I was forced in a way to kind of learn some of these self-help techniques to help me deal with some of the anxiety and depression that I was feeling. Yeah, I actually went through, I didn't share this on your episode. Um, actually, my grandma passed away my the day before the start of my senior year. So if things couldn't get worse within that whole eight month span, it did. Yeah. So I went through and I honestly didn't take it like me going through what I said on your episode. I'm not too emotional. Um, It didn't really come out until her viewing. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I never really kind of got emotional about it until like I was like watching a movie one day in my dorm with some girl. Yeah, mom, if you hear this, whatever. Um, And it had someone about like a, my grandma died of stage. She had stage four lung cancer when she found out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of really quick and it all went really fast. Um, so kind of my emotions kind of came out watching a movie on someone who was passing away from cancer. And it was just like, so it brought back those memories. But like I went through a kind of a little bit of a depressive period, you would say, when a few years into college, I realized that she was gone. Um, cause she lives about five to eight minutes away from my home mm-hmm. back here. So having her around and like, you don't really notice the effects until they're gone. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to quickly hit that, that I was like, that that also occurred during my time. So I resonate a little bit with losing. That was my first taste of death too, uh-huh. for me as well. Um, I didn't dabble into anything though to kind of get rid of it as thank God I didn't. Um, but kind of going into, I guess the Brad part living, living life with an addict. Um, this is, this is pretty interesting. Um, because normally we only get the story from the person who overcame the addiction. Mm -hmm. And so I want to get the story of someone who had to live with that. And especially being, I guess, growing up in the teens, especially with Brad, especially that he touched drugs and alcohol that young at 12. What was it like living through him with childhood and kind of just go through the point of from that to the point of like losing con of the point where you saw you were losing contact with who he truly was? Yeah. 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 I, it, it, it is wild because you do usually hear from the person who's overcome it. And the family, the disease of addiction is a family disease. Now, I remember hearing that at Brad's very first rehabilitation center that he went to. And I thought, bull crap. This, I have nothing to do with this. Um, but to take you back really quick, so Brad and I are three years difference. I am the only girl in my family. I have three older brothers. So Brad and I, though, it, it, my older brothers are a, 
a lot older. So the three of them kind of grew up together and Brad and I grew up together. Okay. You know, just really quickly, when, when my mom brought Brad home, I was super pissed off at first. I remember it. And I was only three, but I can remember it so vividly in my head. I was so pissed off because I'm still the only girl. You're bringing this little boy home to take over who, you know, and then Brad very, very quickly, we have numerous pictures, um, became my baby doll, real life baby doll. (laughs) Oh my gosh, this baby fits in my baby strollers. I can climb in the crib with it like this. Oh my gosh, mom, you gave me the best gift ever. This is the best. Um, you ruined you know, him. You ruined him. <laughs> and so he was my, he was just my little Brad. And um, so we grew up very, you know, close. And, um, you know, fast forward just because a lot of the in-between, we had a very, very good childhood. We both did. We both grew up fantastically. Um, I do remember when Brad started to be bullied. Um, and, you know, ages and years and stuff, I can't quite remember, but that's totally irrelevant. Anyways, he started to be bullied. And I remember from a sister standpoint, I just was so upset because I didn't know what to do. At that time, I was still only like 13, 14. He's like 10, 11. And I just remember he'd come home and he'd be sobbing because he got pushed in the snow or he got put in a, a trash can or, um, you know, the kids would make fun of his weight because he was, he was 10. Like he was at that chubby boy face. And um, I just watched the, it, my brother just be just so beside himself to the point that this 11-year-old boy went and lived with my aunt in California. Like that is not normal behavior. But at the time, you know, I just thought, okay, well, this will get him away from the bullying. And, you know, obviously he went out there, finished some school, like elementary school, and he did end up coming back. Um, and that, that is when he had his first run-in with some alcohol at a friend's house when he was 12. Obviously, we didn't know about that. Um, fast forward to when Brad was 18 years old. So I was 21. I was in a, a horribly abusive relationship that was consuming me. Um, it, I was so consumed with what was going on with me. And to be completely transparent, my parents were very concerned what was going on with me. Not seeing all the signs that pointed to Brad had started using heroin. And he also hit it very well. Um, hindsight's twenty twenty, obviously. And looking back, I, I'm not sure how any of us missed it, but we had never dealt with a full-blown drug addict. Um, Like I said, myself and, you know, my three brothers prior to me, we were raised in a wonderful family. And and Brad was raised in the same family. And, um, you know, I always just say that the disease of addiction and alcoholism, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't pick the poor family. It doesn't pick the uh, white, green, black, any, it doesn't choose. Um, And I just remember when Brad came to my parents and said, I have a heroin addiction. And I just thought, Oh, oh no. Okay. How, how do we fix? Like, we've got to fix this. Um, okay. We've got to fix this. Um, and my parents ended up getting him into his first rehab. Um, and he had to detox a little bit prior to going in, either go to a detox center and get help. Um, and I just remember he ended up doing the detox at home at my parents' house. And, um, he just was in this recliner and um, at my parents' house and just watching what this drug withdrawing out of his system did to him. It was just, it's disgusting. It's, it's something that no sibling ever wants to watch their sibling go through. Um, and, you know, I would randomly go by him when he was in a really deep sleep and make sure that he was still breathing. You know, I'd put my hand on his neck, make sure... But he, he was still breathing because it, it, it is, it, what it does to the body is, it's so, it's horrific. It's horrific. And he got detoxed just enough and he went into this rehab. Well, when he went, when we dropped him off, I remember so specifically feeling this sigh of relief that I was like, okay, this is what needed to, he's fixed. He's here. They're going to keep him for 90 days and he'll be fixed. Little did I know that was the very beginning of a decade-long drug addiction um, that got worse and worse and worse by the year. 
Yeah. Wow. That's so, so when he went in, that was the last time basically you knew the Brad that you'd known. Yes. Um, he went into that rehab and I think he was there. See, like I said, times might be screwed up, but I think he was there 30, 60 days, I think. And it was like so close to when he was supposed to graduate from it. And he decided it would be a good idea to sneak out with a girl from the rehab and go get drunk at her house. Um, and so that rehab didn't fix him. So back to the drawing board. And, um, you know, it's wild because he and I stayed really close, actually, like really close. Um, all the years that he was going through these rehabs and then when he would get out, um, there was something about, and I don't know if it was a comfort for Brad, um, just because of the way we were raised so closely together and probably because I made him my baby doll. I don't know. Like yeah. he would come to me for anything. And, and when I say anything, like it, it was sometimes it was money. Sometimes it was a ride. Sometimes it was just to like reassure him that like he can do hard things. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think he went to four, maybe three, no, four inpatient rehabs, multiple outpatient. Um, and like I said, this just, this went on for a solid decade. Um, and I, being this, the, the codependent now apparently is what, you know, I, I learned through rehabs with him is this codependency that people talk about, um, I didn't want any part of hearing that I was part of his problem. Um, and they, they kept talking about these codependent people. And I just thought, oh, well, that sucks. Mom, they're talking about you, mom. Like they're talking, you're, you're, you know, and realizing that I was part of the codependent problem. Um, and, you know, there was, a, there was a span of time where I thought, well, if I just babysit Brad, he won't use. So if I just am constantly with him, I mean, what, was I kidding? What kind of life was that? At the time I had my own life. Um, and realizing that that just wasn't the answer. That was not the answer to keeping him sober. Um, and, but every time he'd go out and use, and, you know, at this time, um, just to kind of let your listeners know, like he was living at home in between all these you know, stints that he would do in multiple rehabs. He was living at home and I had actually moved back home and I had had my daughter. Um, and so being a single mom, obviously I relied on my parents for some help. So I had this, this newborn baby, um, you know, and Brad came to the hospital to see me and the nurses had to escort him out because he was so high. And just things that happened are just, you know, it took me a while to have to like, to, to kind of work through, through the pain and through like, for lack of a better word, some of the PTSD, um, you know, Brad and I, in the years of his using, uh, you know, we got in some physical alteration altercations and it, it's not my proudest moments. Um, but some of it was, you know, me calling the cops on him and him trying to swat the phone out of my hand. And, um, I got to a point where I was so angry at him. I was so angry for the chaos he was causing in our family, showing up, you know, at the house at three o'clock in the morning and waking the whole household and the fights that he would basically like strike up at the house between whoever was living there at the time. And most, most often it was my parents and to see two people who love a human being in the exact same way, a mother and a father that love this boy in the exact same way, but they're both handling his addiction in two to totally different ways. And to watch them just be at odds with each other and um, the tears, the tears that I would watch my mom cry. And um, I, you know, it's crazy, Anthony, because I resonated with you when you were talking about not being able to cry. I, I, shut down all emotion, all, I, all emotion. I, I was able to just turn it off. And, um, you know, there was nights that 
he would he would come home in the middle of the night and he would ask if he could sleep on my floor and he would want to sleep on my floor because he was scared that he was going to die and so i of course would allow him to sleep on my floor and i would sleep with my hand on his chest and you know some of the relationship that he and i have today nobody understands and i don't expect them to because they never saw that part of you know the sleepless nights that i had of making sure that he would make it through the night yeah i going back to that emotional state i think that's been the most difficult thing and i don't know to the point where i will be okay with kind of releasing that emotion. Yes, I have talked about it. I released it when I wrote that post, but I don't know if I'll fully be able to, at least not right now, at the stage I'm at in my life, I'm not with someone or like my parents. I've never just have talked to them really about it. Like, and I shut down everything. Like that was like, and honestly, it made me, kind of regret a lot of things because a lot of people sometimes in situations look at for me for help and I can't and like I turned off that emotional button Mm -hmm. and it's it's the toughest part with helping people is yeah it's I I feel like when I shut mine off it was it was self-defense yeah it was me not feel um and it w- it was the easiest thing for me at that point because the emotions were so all over the map. They were just everywhere and I kind of didn't know how to sort them out. And, um, and luckily, and that's why I see it for you, there's, there's hope because I, I, I it, it turned back on for me and, and it's, you know, it's, I've, I've asked for help definitely from my higher power. Like I want to be able to feel, I want to be able to feel every emotion. Like I want to be able to feel sad so that when I'm happy, I know how great feeling happy feels. Um, I want to be able to cry out of happiness and I want to be able to even like talk about memories just like I've been able to do on this podcast and feel the emotion from it because the gratitude that my life and his life looks like it does today is so awesome. Yeah. And now I guess kind of fast forward to the end of those 10 years. Um, so you've been through this whole roller coaster that Brad got you involved in up and down, lots more downs, very steep downs, it seems, and ups. Um, what point did you, did you see the true Brad kind of come back into your life? And I know coming from, I've never been in this scenario with an addict, but I want to get this because it feels like when you kind of give up on someone, I feel like it's always hard to accept their return back to you. But I feel like you guys have had a special relationship where you always knew he was still there and that he might've been like a month away from not doing anything, from being back to the expectation of being back to regular Brad. Yes. Um, so was there a point though that it came about that you kind of accepted him fully back into your life that he was the Brad that you remember him being? Yeah, yeah, there was the the last the last year of of Brad's using got really 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 bad. I mean, that's when it's like we didn't think it could get any worse and it got horrible. And that is the year that I absolutely cut him off. I I completely 100% cut him off. Um I, I did find him on um, a side street in my neighborhood at one point in time, sitting on the curb. I can't remember. I think his car broke. His car was his house, and it got. Re- I, I can't remember, but he was filthy, dirty. And I took him to my apartment, and I let him shower, and he left. And that was the most contact we had in one year's time. Um, I was fully ready, and I think this is one reason to why I shut my emotion off so. Uh, so big is because I was prepared. I had rehearsed the trauma of the phone call that I got when they said he had died. He, there was no way he was making it out of this. He was, he was a bottom junkie, bottom like, and um, so I, I had kind of already rehearsed 
that in my head and, and, and come to uh, grips with it. So, um, you know, November of 2012, uh, Brad got sober and he, um, the last time he used was at our grandfather's funeral. And, um, he also went to jail that, that night. And after he had been in jail, I think he was in a couple months that time. I, I lose track because, you know, 17 booking and, and release, you kind of lose track of what, yeah. what was what, but, um, I just remember when he got released and he, um, he came to my parents' house and my parents said, you, you can't stay here. Um, you, you can't. And, um, it was another, uh, pretty traumatic night for he and I, um, ended up getting in, uh, a verbal fight and then it escalated to a physical fight. And I told him that, you know, he hadn't changed. So that was, that was a month out of, you know, that was, He'd been in jail too. So like really he, he had been two months sober because he'd been in jail. But I also was like, yeah, you've been sober because you've been in jail. Like pr- prove something. Um, and it was the better part of that year. So 2013 that I was very leery and I didn't allow him at that time. I just had my daughter. I did not allow him. No, I actually, no, I had my son as well. I would not allow him around my kids. Um, and I, you know, he put one foot in front of the other, just doing that next right thing. And I'd watch it happen. You know, he, he bought um, my husband's car, which, you know, was just a pile of crap car. And then he got his own little place, which was, you know, just a room within it. And, and I just watched him slowly, like working his way. And it was about, I think it was his one year sobriety birthday that we celebrated for him with a big dinner with friends. And I remember looking at him and I was like, he's back. The, the brother that I know and that I love is back. Um, and from that point forward, he and I, it was crazy. And I'm sure I, I, I prefaced this podcast with saying what our relationship was prior, because I feel like that did kind of aid in him being, us being able to just kind of have this organic relationship again that didn't feel forced. Um, you know, I, I still was like a little leery. Like I, I, it's not like I would like leave my purse with him or anything or give him anything valuable and expect him to take good care of it or have him babysit my kids. But slowly I, things started to feel more normal and, um, he got back into the coaching space, uh, the nutrition coaching space. And I was super excited about that for him. And, you know, it's crazy, Anthony, is exact that time is when my darkest moments hit that I talked about earlier in this podcast. And he was 100% there for me, um, constantly trying to help me with the self-help, trying to put me in touch with people who could possibly, you know, help mentor me. And um, he started to help me with my own fitness and free of charge. He was not going to charge me in. And um, he made some beautiful amends, which is part of the 12-step program that he works. Um, And through all of that and some time, everything just, it just healed. It healed all the hurt. It healed everything. Um, And, you know, the proud started to come about about that year too, after he'd been sober about a year, I just started to feel so proud of him. And he was proud of me because I finally had engulfed myself in this, this weight loss journey. And like I said, yeah, my weight loss journey is started about eight years ago. Um, you know, I was stuck after having my second kid and he was, he was just there every step of the way to help guide me. And then ever since then, it's, he and I started working together at a previous nutrition coaching uh, company prior to this in 2015. And I just was a very part-time front desk person. And that company started to go south, unfortunately, with uh, the owner struggled with addiction, um, was very much in active addiction and has since actually passed away. Um, And being the front desk person, things started to go south there. My paycheck stopped clearing and I was able to say, I'm leaving. And he said, well, what are you going to go do? And I said, back to what I know, which is bartending. And um, he said, you're not, you're not going back to bartending. We're going to open our own thing. And here's how we're going to do it. And he completely, I always say that Brad 
allowed me to go on this Uber ride for the last three years with him. He, he let me be his Uber passenger um, because he put so much money into opening a business from the ground up and I did put my blood, sweat and tears into it. So did you get that when he came back, did you get that same sigh of relief that you got when he first went into rehab? Like that first time you said like you felt this weight come off your shoulder. Like at that party when you guys celebrated and you saw Brad come back, was that just like a massive just sigh of relief? Oh my gosh. It, it, it was exactly that. It was literally almost this feeling in my gut. It was the exact same feeling of just this like giddiness, like okay, this, this is what it is. Like this, this is it. This is it. And thank God when I looked at him at his one year sobriety, that was it. Like he has not touched drugs or alcohol now in seven and a half years. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, Whenever I see that, I think that's, I heard his story on Chase's thing and I immediately messaged him. That's what I did. I think that was the first time I heard him. And I was like right at the beginning of the pot, right at the beginning when I started doing podcasts and I messaged him like right away after I listened to Chase's episode with him. Yeah. It's, it's a wild, it's, it's a yeah. wild story. It's, you know, definitely something as far as like his mess beca- became his message for sure. And then how did you help? So helping him start, uh, key nutrition, um, this is a pretty unique venture for you, I would say too. So how does it go into just, I guess you kind of prefaced it earlier in the episode, but kind of going from, I guess you would say front desk person at another nutrition company, mm-hmm. um, slash bartender slash all this other things to becoming the COO of key nutrition. Yeah. Like <laughs> I'm not even sure really, like it really took like, <laughs> So, so as you know, Anthony, bartending, you definitely have the people skills. Like that's all what it's about. It's, you know, um, so I definitely don't feel like I lack in that area of being able to be like sociable with people. And, um, we kind of didn't know what it was going to look like. And honestly, the COO title, like I, he presented it to me at one point in time and I laughed. I was like, what does that mean? He's like, look it up. Are you serious? You don't know what it means? And I looked it up and I just thought, well, that's like giving me a little too much credit. Well, that is the very first moment where Brad taught me that I, you have to think big. And, and you know, at first when he kept telling me, Michelle, you have to be uncomfortable to grow. I wanted to sucker punch him in the teeth. Like I (laughs) want to be uncomfortable. I, I, I was so okay, just being comfortable in my little, what I did every day. And I did this and I did, I was a mom really good. And I did a few things really good. Um, and you know, it just, it kind of just evolved from there. Like he, you know, it, my position kind of looked more like I was an assistant to Brad. And then as we kind of brought on and got a bigger team of coaches under the umbrella of key nutrition, my job became bigger and bigger and things just kind of started to fall on my plate. And one thing that I did really well was when I didn't know how to do something, I figured it out. And I was not scared to dive into whatever it was I needed to figure it out. Um, and that right there will give you so much confidence as a person when you don't know how to do something, but you're like, you know what? I bet I can figure this out. And, um, you know, I was also very, very blessed to be you know, Brad's assistant who I got to the year of 2019 was so much growth for me because I was able to attend these for lack of a better word, masterminds, um, with him with pretty big name people. I mean, Jason Phillips runs it, which he's a fairly big name. And all these coaches is what the platform that Jason Phillips provided was this platform of all these other people, all these other coaches, all these other entrepreneurs, people running their own businesses um, that I was able to look to for a lot of like some of the stuff that I was doing. Um, And I also just realized too, like, I am just going to completely enthrall myself in this fitness. Like I am not going to ever, ever, um, not give myself the opportunity to learn, even if it doesn't pertain to 
let's say it's COO at Key Nutrition, I am never going to not open up to learning new things. And when Brad asked me, you know, to be the co-host on a podcast, like, I'm just like, this dude doesn't stop with making me uncomfortable. <laughs> like, he just lives to watch me go, oh, why? I know you want me to be a co-host on a pod, like, why are we doing a podcast? What is this? And just over time, the thing that the things that have been presented to me that I've overcome and I do feel like I've overcome a lot of it because I had, Brad had so much faith in me and, and it just, it meant so much to me. And it, a lot of it too was, I was like, damn it, I'm going to show up. I'm going to suit up and I'm going to do this because he believes in me. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because Jason Phillips is also a motivator for me too. Um, I invested NCI uh, oh, back uh-huh. in, in January. So I'm still kind of working on my level one just because I got, I'm still collecting my data from my clients, but it's also like, I wouldn't be where I am if he didn't give me that phone call. Like even if it was just a sales call, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have taken the action to even purchase that level one thing without him. Um, that was pretty interesting because I was looking at going to the impact collective myself in June. Like that was like my whole plan. I had all this travel set up to mm-hmm. go down to Texas and go see some friends down there and go do some live episodes with some pretty cool entrepreneurs who I had the chance to meet. Um, but getting uncomfortable, so, so important. And I kind of want you to describe actually going back to this when he asked you to be the co-host of a podcast. What was your first episode like? <laughs> oh it was horrible. It, so it seriously, it, if people say, oh my gosh, yeah, I love your podcast. I'm like, please say you listen to like episode like 75 and above. Like the, the first one was so, we had no clue what we were doing. Like we sat down, we took one of the other coaches here because we're like, I don't know, three, if two's good, three's even better. So <laughs> we just, I don't even, like I'd have to go back and listen to it. I mean, I, Brad and I have this relationship where we love to banter. Like I love to make sure that Brad knows like that he's very mediocre at best. He likes me to know that he <laughs> hopes I trip and fall and break my two front teeth, things like that. So people do love that he and I are able to banter in that way. Um, so I think there was actually no value provided in the first episode, zero, none. Good, good. And it was basically like, kind of like, here's what you're going to get um, from the Key Nutrition Podcast. So listen at your, you know, own discretion. So, um, but God, it's been such a fun, pla- you know, it's been such a fun platform, honestly, because of the connections that you make. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Going back to my first, going back to like my first like few guest episodes i was like crap i was like damn i was like huh those are the reactions i made when i go back and listen to them i'm like man i would redo these so many times if i could totally you know what you talk to the mind pump guys they will laugh and say the same thing they're like if you listen to us in the first hundred episodes yeah like they're embarrassed too. So, it, you know, it just, I think it goes with podcasting. Oh yeah. But it's like the coolest medium in a way. Oh, I, like, I agree. Especially if you get to do this, like guys, like you might not get the video, but we can at least see each other while we're speaking. Yes. So yes. it's a full different thing than having like a phone call where you can't see the person's emote, like, like on a phone call, you can't see a person's emotions. Um, you can hear the inner voice, but you can't see them physically. And I right. think there's a, point to this, which is why I always recommend it. Like some people can't do to not having a camera, but anytime I do a podcast, I always try to have a video recorded of some mm-hmm. sort, just cause you get that full experience. Yeah. Oh, there's absolutely something with, with, you know, human connection. There's definitely something about eye contact that does something for the endorphins in the body. I fully believe. Um, so yeah, I, I love, if, if video is an option, I'm always going to pick video. Um, I'm a Marco Polo junkie. So <laughs> I, uh, I had a few of them where I did, where I had to do just audio and it kind of felt odd at first. Like you had to kind of get into it since you can't see the facial contact. So it's like trying to feed off their voice is really different, but it gives you that unique perspective. Um, I agree. So we're headed towards the end of uh, the podcast and I ask every single guest the same three questions. Mm. Um, So first question 
is uh, what three things, if you could summarize this podcast, you want everybody to leave with? Um, three things. I would definitely, definitely urge everybody to do something daily that makes you uncomfortable. I don't care how big or small it is. Anything you pick to make you uncomfortable. I don't care if it's, I'm going to drink a gallon of water today because I typically only drink 80. Get uncomfortable because you, on the other side of uncomfortability is growth. Always, 100% of the time. Um, another is that... Um, you know, I, I want to speak to anyone out there that's dealing with an out, addict alcoholic and I just, I want them to leave this podcast with a message of hope. Hope that relationships can be restored and addicts can, they can stay clean. And um, also that addiction and alcoholism is truly a disease and to, to, respect, to respect that. Um, and, you know, the last thing is, is, Leaving with, um, and this goes to like us talking about the podcast, just connection, like connect with people, connect with people that you never in a million years thought that you would connect with. There is so many platforms out there that provide this um, to be able to connect with different types of people. I mean, Anthony, we would have never connected had it not been for the podcast world. Um, and I, I just truly believe, and I, I, I owe on my own podcast, on Key Nutrition's podcast, I always say the phrase, I'm always accepting new friends. And I, I am. Like, I, I don't care what form you come in. If you come in a Marco Polo form, cool. I will take you. If you come in a Voxer, box me, form. Great. I, I just, human connection is so important. Awesome. Yeah, that last one, I think that was probably, I think that was the thing I asked people to leave with on my episode with yours too, is like, you you don't understand what podcasting truly does until you actually get into it. Mm-hmm. So just do it. If you want to create it, do it because you never know what yes. guest, who will listen, um, who will find inspiration from you. Yes. Uh, that's been the absolute coolest part is just the endless amounts of, ins- well, not endless. I'm not that big, but uh, the few Instagram DMs I get per episode. Um connecting with people has been tremendous. Awesome. Yes, I agree. Um, Second to last question is what three books and or podcasts would you recommend everybody either read or listen to? Hmm. Oh, I love this one. Um, Definitely Atomic Habits is my number one book. Um, I also really like, I, I, I really have tried to keep my mouth clean on this. It's, it's called unfuck yourself and it's, it's, it's by Gary John Bishop. And it's honestly, the title is deceiving because you think it's going to be this foul book that says words. He uses some colorful language, but not all. It's really, it helps you like kind of end self-sabotage. Um, and then the podcast that I'm going, it's called the Key Nutrition Podcast. I mean, you can listen to it if you want. It's whatever. Um, that one's really good. But you know what? I also really, really, <laughs> I really like the Boom Boom Performance. Uh, it's a friend of ours, Cody McBroom. Have you had him on yours? Yes, I had him okay. on mine too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's amazing. He's so educational. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Th- those, he, are, those are my things. He also has like 400 episodes because he comes out with an episode every like other day. So, I don't... He's I know. insane. The amount of content yeah. we had when I had him on, I was just like, the amount of content that you're pushing is ridiculous. He is the content king. So, yes. yeah. He's amazing. I do have Atomic Habits like right here next to me. It's my next book on, oh, on it's Let my next book on it. deck. And then I did see Unfuck Yourself on Amazon. So I'm thinking about getting that one too. It's really, yeah, it's good. It's really good. I've been reading ridiculous amounts since being on. Uh, it took me a while to read 12 Rules for Life. That one took me like a year. That one took me like, I think a month did and it. a half. That one was a thinker. Yeah. Yeah. I've had some of those. Um, and lastly, uh, Michelle, where can, uh, where can shameless plug yourself? Where can people find you? Uh, if they want to contact you for anything, basically. Yes. So I am most active on Instagram and my handle is at my key life. I also am pretty active on Facebook now. Um, and it's just Michelle Rains. And then, like I said, I am the co-host on the key nutrition podcast and also just at key Uh, please reach out if you have any questions, any 
thing you want to talk about if you want to apply to be friends because I'm always taking new friends. <laughs> and if you haven't, definitely go listen to my episode on their podcast. Um, you'll get, hopefully you get, it's kind of goes down the same roads as we kind of discussed here in a little different fashion. Yes. Uh, it's no Anthony. It was, it was yeah. so fun. Yeah. If you haven't already gotten to know me enough on here, get to know me a bit more on there. Um, yeah. But Michelle, I want to say first off, thank you for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. And uh, everybody, thank you. And if, actually, before we go, if you enjoyed this episode and you found a ton of value in it, please tag, screenshot and tag us in your stories. Um, I love showing love back to the people who actually support the podcast a lot. So if you did enjoy it, screenshot it, tag us. I'll repost you on my story. Um, So thank you everybody for listening to this episode of the Ace of Spada podcast.